Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. This season is very interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're coming up to this major holiday of Christmas, and we have this, this time of waiting to get there where we have all of these things to do. And while in the New Testament, Christians aren't required to celebrate Christmas, and they're not required to celebrate Advent, both of these can be very, very helpful for us as we think about our Savior. I mean, let's think about Christmas for a minute. I know that it's really easy to go down the cynical side as we think about Christmas and we think about consumerism and and all the money that we're spending or maybe the crazy traditions that we have or all the busyness with all the Christmas parties and the extra things on our plate or maybe the bad practices that taint Christmas and leave a bad taste in our mouth and yet we still celebrate it. See, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior The God-man, Jesus Christ, as He appeared to us on that first Christmas. Yes, I know, we can again get cynical because we don't know exactly when Jesus was born, but we can certainly agree that it wasn't on December 25th. And, And sure, we could be cynical, but that's not the point. See, the beauty is that each year, Christians set aside time and a day to celebrate the coming of our Savior, One of the greatest events that's ever occurred in human history. And so why Advent? Why this season, these four weeks leading up to Christmas? Well, Advent, the word itself means coming. So the idea is that there's something big that's coming. Something that hasn't happened yet that we're looking forward to. So Advent is a time that emphasizes our waiting. Now, you would think that waiting would be easy. I mean, if you look at it on paper, waiting doesn't require that much from us. We're simply waiting. And yet, the human experience, we all know that waiting is really hard work. See, much of our lives is spent waiting. We're waiting for, you know, uh, job applications to come back. We're waiting to move into our new house. We're waiting for a marriage. We're waiting for the new child to come. We're waiting at the stoplights and the grocery stores or our packages to be delivered. I mean, our lives are constantly wrapped up in waiting. So you'd think that maybe we'd be good at it. But in fact, I don't think many of us would say that we're very good at waiting. We're not a very patient generation. No, we get frustrated sitting in traffic. We kick ourselves when we pick the wrong line at the grocery store and we end up waiting longer than we have to. We get frustrated when the restaurants are a little bit too slow for our liking or those packages take more than two days to show up at our house. How many of us get frustrated when the internet show buffers at the best part? If you want to see people that are really bad at waiting, hang out with children Right? I mean, they, they're always being told, wait your turn, wait in line. You would think that they get to the very edge of starvation every time you cook a meal. I mean, they're right there. They're starving. 
and try to go to grandma's house. How many times do you get to hear, are we there yet? Or at least, are we close? See, I think many of us can relate with the great theologian Tom Petty. He said the waiting is the hardest part sometimes. So while we know that focusing on the thing that we're waiting for can drive us crazy, and it can make us antsy, we're really good at distracting ourselves. We're really good at looking elsewhere. I mean, if you're at the doctor's office all by yourself and you're waiting in the waiting room, or maybe you're at the airport, or maybe there's some other time in your day where you just have 20 minutes to kill, and what do you do? What, what, what do you do with your time? It may seem like low-hanging fruit, but isn't it amazing how many of us turn to our smartphones and how the world has, has been so open to us that we never have to spend any time waiting. We, we can always be in the office. We have constant access to our emails, to Facebook, to sports, to news, to games, uh, to anyone else on this planet. I suppose that it makes sense that we keep seeing these articles that on one side praise the efficiency and the wonder of modern technology, and then on the other side say that there's a direct correlation between the growing anxiety and general unhappiness in our world. See, if we could put two things together, that, that practice makes perfect, and that we tend to lose what we don't use, it makes sense that in many ways we have lost our ability to wait well. But this is the beauty of Advent. See, Advent tells us not to waste our waiting. Rather, let our waiting turn us to self-discipline that creates in us a burning desire as we await our Savior. You can think about that, the athlete who prepares for a big game. They've, they've done the hard work and they've, they've done the training. They've gone to bed the night before. They get up and they're ready to go for the day. But they don't just walk onto the field and play. They, they have a pregame warm-up. They have a ritual. Maybe they're listening to music. Maybe they're visualizing what success looks like and they're counting the cost of what it will mean. See, they're not passively passing their time. But they're actively, mentally preparing for this event. The same can be said of presenters or performers, that we need to use time to strategically, mentally prepare. And this is what we're doing with the Advent season. We're strategically waiting, building anticipation as we turn the longing of our hearts towards our Savior's arrival at Christmas. So today we'll do this as we look at our passage in Isaiah and how Emmanuel gives purpose to our waiting as we look at this passage, uh, I want to see three things. First, we want to see that our waiting puts faith over fear. Secondly, that our waiting means refreshing and looking back at the past promise of Emmanuel. And then thirdly, our waiting is looking forward to the future promise of Emmanuel. So the first thing we see is Advent waiting puts faith over fear. You see, in our passage, Ahaz is told to ask God for a sign. And the reason that, that Ahaz is asked to ask for a sign is because he's in a tough spot. If you look back earlier in chapter 7, 
you'll see that Isaiah tells us that Ahaz is terrified by his enemies. That the, the north of Judah, Israel has formed an alliance with the king of Syria and they're coming against Ahaz and they're coming against the people of God. They're so afraid that verse 2 tells us the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so Ahaz needed to find security, reinforcement to help keep God's people safe. And Ahaz had a choice. He could look to the Lord and he could trust in the Lord and seek his protection. Or he could go looking elsewhere, seeking an alliance with another nation. And here Isaiah comes to King Ahaz with this message from the Lord. In verse 9, he diagnoses Ahaz's issue is a heart problem and this faith he says if you are not firm in faith you will not be firm at all you see isaiah says look to god wait for him trust in his provision trust in his timing and so this sign is here to to help bolster his faith now most of the time in the bible uh, people are told not to ask god for signs i mean even if you think of jesus out in the wilderness And Satan is there tempting him. Remember, one of his responses is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And here he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16, where Moses is telling the people that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. They're being reprimanded for their disobedience, that they've tested the Lord, which is not something that they're to do. And here in Isaiah, we see Ahaz quote the same text. He says the same thing. But in this case, he's rebuked. Why is this? Well, God is offering Ahaz this sign. It's not that Ahaz came demanding it. See, God is telling Ahaz, look, trusting in me is far greater than anything else you could ever trust in. Let me show you my power. Let me give you a sign that I am able to do great things, that I am for you, and that you can trust me. And notice that God isn't stingy here either. In verse 11, he says, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. In other words, use your imagination. Think about it. Ask for anything. See, God is a God who can part the Red Sea. He's a God that can turn sticks into serpents, the Nile into blood, make fire rain down from heaven, make axe heads float. He could heal the sick, the deaf, the blind, the demon-possessed. He could make the sun stand still, or time go backwards, or even donkeys talk. Come Ahaz, ask for a sign and see God's power displayed. But what does Ahaz say? Nah, I'm good. Right? I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. In this pious-sounding answer, Ahaz is basically saying, thanks for the offer, but I'd rather look elsewhere. Instead of waiting for your timing, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find a quick fix that I can handle. He did not look to the Lord and wait on Him, but instead he turned to the, the superpower of his day. He turned to Assyria for help. And this didn't go well for him, as you can read in Second Kings 15 or in Second Chronicles 28. Now, while it's easy for us to look down on Ahaz, this principle, this idea of trusting in the Lord as we wait, 
is really easy to say and it's really hard for us to practice. How often are we called to wait upon the Lord and how often do we look for our own security and the security of the ones we love, not primarily trusting in God, but in trusting in the things of this world. I mean, we look for security and we we think of security means stable jobs, an overflowing bank account, maybe reliable vehicles, healthy bodies, and the best doctors. None of these things are wrong. They're not bad in and of themselves, but they're secondary. Primarily, we need to look to the Lord. We need to trust in Him instead of putting these secondary things first. See, it's very easy for us to give God ultimatums from our heart. Things like, God, I'll trust you as long as you keep my career going well. God, I'll trust you as long as you keep my furnace and my cars running. I'll trust you as long as you keep my kids safe. I'll trust you as long as you could fill in the blank. Now, we don't verbalize these ideas. We know that it's wrong. But I hope that we're honest enough to see that just below the surface of our hearts and minds, these are often ways that we might think. See, like King Ahaz, we too are confronted by God's Word. And as we live in this world waiting for His return, will we wait for Him, trusting in Him above everything else? Or are we going to look elsewhere for our, in our, for security in our fear? See, this Advent season, as we await Christmas, may we reflect on where our hearts lean for security and ask God to do the difficult work of realigning our hearts to more fully trust in Him as we put faith over fear. Next, we see that Advent waiting looks back and is refreshed by the promise of Emmanuel. See, Ahaz chose not to trust God. He put his fear over his faith in turning away from God. But notice that he doesn't get the last word in our passage. See, Isaiah turns and and when he gets his response from Ahaz, he then addresses the people of Israel, the whole nation, and he says, well, therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. If your king doesn't want a sign, I'll give you a sign Myself. See, God doesn't need the cooperation of the king to work out his plans. God will do what is good and what is right. God will give his people a sign that is deeper than Sheol, that is higher than the heavens. He's going to do the unthinkable. And what does he say? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Biblical prophecy is is interesting. A lot of times when, when we get a promise or we get a prophecy, there's an initial fulfillment of that prophecy. But then later we see an ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy. In this passage, this verse has been given lots of different interpretations over the years. And, and if you're interested in this, it's very interesting. I would suggest lots of resources. One in particular, uh, Pastor Mark preached a sermon on this in 2016, and it was sent out in an email not too long ago. And you can see some of the initial fulfillment that it was taking place. But for our sakes today, I'd like to look more directly at how the, the New Testament authors understood this. 
See, Matthew, when we read Matthew, sees this direct correspondence between Isaiah 7.14 and the birth of Jesus Christ. See, both Matthew and Luke record this in the beginning of their Gospels that Mary was a virgin and was found to be with child supernaturally. That in Christ's coming, God was at work outside the bounds of the natural or the humanly possible. While the sign is important, that which it signifies is so much more. So you think about Emmanuel. Like, what does Emmanuel mean? Well, Matthew told us Emmanuel is kind of this, this one word that compresses three words in English into it. It's God with us. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, this theme of God being with His people is everywhere. I mean, God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was with His people in the wilderness, in the pillar of smoke by day and the fire by night. He was with His people, uh, symbolized by the tabernacle, symbolized by the temple in the land of promise, symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. See, the psalmist regularly looked to God's security as a God who is with us. And yet this Emmanuel promised in 714 of Isaiah is different. It's more than this symbol of God's presence. See, Emmanuel is God Himself with us. It's the second person of the Trinity. As Jesus Christ has condescended to our level, put on flesh, not to become simply like us, but to become one of us in His full humanity. That this is Jesus, the God-man, being fully God and fully man. Remember how Paul talks about this in Philippians 2, talking about Jesus, how though He was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, That though He was with God for all eternity past, He chose to empty Himself by coming to earth. The writer of Hebrews likewise reminds us that we have a great high priest and a brother, Jesus Christ, who partook of our flesh and blood. That He was tempted as a man. That He suffered as a man. That in every way He sympathizes with our weaknesses And yet without sin, we see that in Hebrews 2.11, that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Now sometimes I get lost in thinking about total depravity. See, I recognize how how far short I fall. I know the hardness of my own heart. I know the mess that I am inside. I know my own sin patterns that I may put on this this front, but I know myself. I know what a failure I am. And then if I if I want to feel better and I and I want to look out at the world, I don't find a lot of hope there in humanity. I, I, I see brokenness and crime and death. I'm constantly amazed by how people treat each other and what they say about one another. See, being human often makes me ashamed. But Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, reminds us that God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. Emmanuel reminds us of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Emmanuel reminds us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, Emmanuel reminds us that we might be ashamed. He is not ashamed to call us brothers, sisters, adopted children, his treasured possession. Many of us know these things. We, we know about Christmas and, and we know about Emmanuel intellectually, but Advent is a time for us to take a refresher course, a time for us to look again with fresh eyes at the magnificent gift that God has given in His Son. See, so often we act like we're, we're locals to the great truths of Christmas and not the awestruck tourists that we probably should be. You know what I mean? You, you go out on vacation, maybe you go to the mountain or to the lake or to the woods. And what do you do? You, you sit and you bask in the beauty of your surroundings. You, you look at it all. You, you need to take it all in. You take time gazing at the beauty, the wonder, the awe of your surroundings. And if you look around at the other people that are there, you can always tell who's a tourist, can't you? They're trying to drink it all in. They're trying to catch it all. And you have to be careful when you're driving around tourists because they're not paying attention to the road. They're driving slowly. They're, they're veering in and out of their lane. They might stop immediately because they need to stop and take a picture. Why is that? Because of the amazing surroundings that they're looking at. Their focus is on other things. But you don't have to worry about that with the locals. I mean, they see this scenery every day. They don't need to stop or slow down or anything because their surroundings have just kind of become normal for them. Now, while they might be safer drivers, I hope that we can use our time waiting this Advent season to be tourists again. That we can stop and we can wonder at Emmanuel and the virgin birth. Joseph's faithfulness, Mary's joy, the census that brought Mary and, uh, Mary and Joseph, the husband and wife, uh, back to Bethlehem to fulfill this prophecy. The shepherds, the angel, the magi, Simeon and Anna who were waiting for Jesus in the temple for Him to come. The escaping from Herod. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of things for us to marvel at during the Christmas season. As we think about Advent, may we be reminded of God's willful condescension and in His sending of His Son. That though Jesus, who is God and was God and was with God in the beginning, the One through whom all things were made, who is the light and life of men, that this Jesus chose to put on flesh and dwell among us. And maybe as we slow down and wonder this season, our kids our spouses and the people around us might likewise look up and see what it is that we're marveling at. So one final thing to keep in mind about Advent is that Christmas time was only the first Advent. See, as we celebrate Christmas, we're not only celebrating something great that happened to humanity in the past, but that which gives us hope as we move forward. 
We are not still waiting for Jesus to come the first time. No, our wait looks forward to His coming back a second time. When we think about the promise of Emmanuel, the best isn't actually behind us. It's actually before us. It's in front of us. Jesus told His disciples that when He was leaving, that it was to their advantage that He was going away because He would send His Helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. At the end of Matthew, when He he gives them the great commission to the disciples, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all names, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, God continues to be with His people through His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enlightens our minds. He opens our hearts to the Word. He sanctifies us in the truth. He bolsters our faith in Christ. However, this isn't the end of the story either. It's just where we're at right now. See, Jesus has promised to come again. Then another advent will take place in which Jesus will come to finish what He started at His first advent. Remember Jesus' first sermon as He's in the synagogue and He reads from the scroll of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent Me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus sat down and He said, Today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, Jesus came to break the power of sin and death. Jesus came to crush the head of the serpent and the power of Satan. He came to make the poor rich, the enslaved and the oppressed free, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing. Jesus came to restore and redeem His people and bring them back to God. See, Jesus came to bring the peace and the wholeness of shalom back to His creation. At the first advent, the work was finished at the cross. But as believers today, we still long for its full effect to come at His second return. See, this is the deepest longing of our hearts. It's what we were made for. True, sinless communion face-to-face with our God. God with us. Emmanuel in the highest sense. The final chapters of Revelation, John gives us a picture of Emmanuel, the one that we're looking for. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Can you imagine this perfect communion with God freedom from anything bad or sad or sinful or painful 
May we be people that come to Christmas this year prepared in our waiting, in our contemplation of our Savior, in meditation upon His Word. Let us use this time of Advent to seek faith over fear, looking back to the promises of Emmanuel to strengthen us today and long for the shalom promised when Christ returns. This season, let us cry out for Emmanuel who tells us in the conclusion of Revelation, surely I am coming back. What's there left for us to say? But come, Lord Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.